0: podcast with me Carly. Hope you are all well witches. On today's podcast we are looking at the fetch and the philia. I'm afraid I haven't got a book review for you today as the only book I finished recently is our literary witches common book and I can't review it till our book meeting has happened but I should have a book review for you on next week's episode. So let's start by looking at the fetch. There are many takes on what the fetch is, and I will outline all beliefs, and you can decide. The first example of the fetch is based in Irish folklore. It's a supernatural double or an apparition of a living person. The sighting of a fetch is regarded as an omen, usually for impending death. The fetch typically appears to loved ones and friends shortly after the death of an individual. Legends say that sometimes the fetch is seen as a warning to the person who is about to die. It's said that on occasion, the fetch may not take the appearance of the dying person, but as a single moving light. And these lights are called a fetch light or dead man's candle. An alternative belief of the fetch is that if the person's double appears in the morning rather than the evening, it is instead a sign of a long life in store. As such, it is similar to the Germanic doppelganger and to some conceptions of the British wraith. The etymology of fetch is obscure and the origin of the term is unknown. It may derive from the verb fetch, the compound fetch life, evidently referring to a psychopomp who fetches the souls of the dying. Portents of death not dissimilar to later fetch traditions are found in early Irish literature and are associated with the old Irish term faith, which is pronounced like fay, but written as faith and he said to me in Sia it got so confusing with this but I've just tried to put together and present everything that kind of rings true on a few different pieces of research that I've done. Fedelm issues prophecies of death in Tan Boconia and the Morrigan likewise prophecies death. So Danu Forrest describes the fetch in her book Wild Magic as follows. The Fetch, sometimes known as the Taze in Irish, or the, I have to get the pronunciation of this, Coimima, Scots Gaelic, meaning co-travel or co-walker, is an ally who has always been with you throughout your life, though you may not know it. Having a conscious and clear relationship with your Fetch is deeply personal and powerful and marks a certain level of self-knowledge and psychic clarity, much like the co walkers or Ma, described by the Reverend Robert Kirk in his excellent treatise on the Scottish Fairy Faith, the secret commonwealth of elves, fauns, and fairies, the fetch may take on any form and shift and change forms at will. Often a fairy of some kind, the Fetch is your lifelong spirit ally who experiences some measure of the mortal world by literally walking with you in life. In exchange, they may help you with deeper or long-term patterns and spiritual growth. A Fetch or co-walker can be a really useful ally. Their presence can be strongly felt Or they can simply give you a subtle sense that you are accompanied in some way at certain points in your life, depending on the relationship you build with them. There is no fixed tradition on how these allies will work with you as everyone is different, but working with a fetch can be powerful magic and affect real change. Working together can also help the practitioner with lifelong challenges and even broader soul evolution. As for fetches, it is very dependent on personal belief and path. Many sources say that a fetch will always be with a person but never reveal itself, while others have accounted for their fetch having appeared at one point in life, stay very frequently, then lay dormant, while others are quite active and constantly working with their fetch. Another account I read stated that fetches should not be searched for, that they must reveal themselves to you. However, that was on a very gatekeeper type post that I found. Other information I can offer up from another site, and I will link these in the show notes, is that a fetch is an etheric construct that the witch projects herself into for the purpose of astral flight. This construct can take the form of her own body or that of a totem spirit. So totem spirits are desirable for this work because the witch already has a unique bond with that creature and therefore can easily assimilate herself into the new etheric body. The fetch can be thought of as an inanimate shell of energy waiting for your own astral self to inhabit and enliven it. It said that it can travel through all the realms of astral space and can be seen in the physical realm by those that are inclined to mediumship. So it's also said on this site, it is wise to create a kind of home for the etheric construct of the fetch to inhabit when not in use as a vessel for the astral body. This could be a crystal, a statue of the animal, a puppet, Or a spirit bottle, these are all said to be good physical anchors for this energy. As with all things, the more you practice, work with and feed this construct, the more effective it will be when you wish to use it. If you wish to stop working with a particular fetch, simply reabsorb its energy into yourself and deconsecrate or destroy the fetch's house. This should, however, be avoided if at all possible as fetches build up Newman with time and use and can become quite powerful in their own right. They are, in fact, a kind of aggregate purposed as a vessel for your own use. So although I appreciate some witches Work with fetches in that respect. That isn't necessarily my take on it. Yes, in regards to astral travel and so on, but I don't personally buy into the, or no, not buy, work with the, you can keep them in a spirit bottle or a poppet. However, of course, I do know witches that do work in that manner. So when it comes to astral travel, you may wish to cue your transformation from astral body to fetch constructs with the use of a charm or FIFA. So this FIFA was spoken by Isabel Gowdy. I think I've spoken about this on the podcast, if not in the Patreon, if not on the Hedge Riches Almanac. So Isabel Gowdy confessed to practicing witchcraft in Scotland in 1662. Isabel claimed she would enter the fairy realm using this FIFA to meet with the fairy queen, Nick Nevin, using the form of a hare as her protector and guide. The hare was seen as her fairy or magic form to carry out bidding within the other world. FIFA a testament to how shamanic practices ran through the heart of the old ways, calling in help or assistance from spirit allies, swapping our human form and knowledge for our spirit allies to enter the other world. And okay, this is the FIFA. I shall go into a hair with sorrow and sitch and meckle care. And I shall go in the devil's name. I, while I come home again, sitch meaning such, meckle means great. And to change back, she would say, hair, hair, God send thee care. I am in a hair's likeness now, but I shall be in a woman's likeness even now. So today we tend to think of the self as having two or three components, a body, a mind, and perhaps a soul. So bear with me where I'm going with this. These few parts form a coherent single whole that can be clearly and cleanly separated from its environment, at least conceptually. The line that separates self and other is fairly absolute and unalterable. In the Norse worldview, however, the self is a more complicated entity. While the Norse certainly had a concept of the self, there is no bland oneness in their perspective. That self is comprised of numerous different parts that are all semi-autonomous and can detach themselves from one another under certain circumstances. None of these parts quite correspond to the concept of a soul in the traditional Christian sense, an absolutely unique and non-transferable essence of a person. The old Norse word for soul was invented only after the Norse converted to Christianity, which highlights the prior lack of such a concept. Various parts of the self were, however, thought to live on after death or be reincarnated. The Norse worldview never placed much value on a uniform set of doctrines and accordingly it contains no comprehensive systematic account of the parts that comprise the human self. So this is a description of four of the most important and commonly mentioned parts of the self in Old Norse literature. So you have the hammer, which is shape, form, appearance, the huger, which is thought, the filia, which is follower, and the haminya, which is luck. So the hammer is literally a translation to shape or skin. The hammer is one's form or appearance, that which others perceive through sensory observation. Unlike in our modern worldview, however, that which is perceived by the senses is not absolutely and unalterably static and fixed. In fact, hammer is the most crucial word in the Old Norse lexicon of shape-shifting. The Old Norse phrase that denotes the process of shape-shifting is skipta holman terrible pronunciation, which means changing hammer. And the quality of being able to perform this feat is called hamramma, of strong hammer. Anyway, next. Huger. So Hugo can be most satisfactorily translated as thought or mind. It corresponds to someone's personality and conscious cognitive processes and therefore overlaps considerably with what we today would call someone's inner self. The huger generally stays within its owner but can at times create effects in faraway people just by thinking about them in a certain way. This is particularly possible for people who are described as having an exceptionally strong hygge. The filia. so we'll go much more into detail on this, but just to give you a brief outline. So remember the cats, ravens and other familiar spirits who are often the companions of witches in European folktales. These are filia. so in the plural and filia in the singular. The filia is generally perceived in an animal form by those with second sight. Although human filia aren't unheard of, it's an attendant spirit whose well-being is intimately tied to that of its owner. For example, if the filia dies, its owner dies too. Its character and form are closely connected to the character of its owner. For example, a person of noble birth might have had a bear filia, a savage and violent person, perhaps a wolf. Philia literally translates as follower, but as often as not, it's depicted as traveling ahead of its owner, arriving at the intended destination before its owner, or appearing in the dreams of someone who will meet the owner the following day. Again, that's loads of different examples for you. I'm going to go more into the art shortly with some other different takes on it too, and you can see what you think. So lastly, the Hammingya, the fourth and final part of the Norse self that we'll consider here is the Hammingya. The word is often used in an abstract sense to signify luck. But the Norse understanding of luck is very different from our own. So in Bettina Summer's fitting words, luck was a quality inherent in the man and his lineage, a part of his personality similar to his strength, intelligence or skill with weapons. At once, both the cause and the expression of the success Wealth and power of a family. Luck, the Haminya is a personal entity in its own right. It's part of the self and can be split off from the other components of the self in certain circumstances. When a person dies, his or her Haminya is often reincarnated in one of his or her descendants, particularly if the child is given the name of the original owner of the Haminya. Sometimes, as in Viga Gulum's saga, the Haminya bequeaths itself of its own accord to a relative of its original owner, without any special naming having to take place. The Hyminia can also be lent to others during life to assist them in particularly perilous missions where luck is needed, especially badly. So let's look at some more in regards to the philia. The term apparently derives from the Old Norse verb filia, meaning to accompany, but it is homonymous with and perhaps identical to the word for afterbirth or placenta. The singular noun filia denotes two distinct groups fetches in animal form and guardian spirits in female form. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. The first is an animal form, which can be described as an extension of an aspect or characteristic of a particular family. Filia in animal form can often be seen as wolves, bears, oxen, boars, and birds such as eagles, falcons, and hawks. These figures appear to people primarily in dreams and warn of impending death danger or some future event. Frequently the filter is that of the doomed or threatened man's enemy. These conceptions appear to reflect notions common in Norse and later Scandinavian tradition of the soul operating out of the body. In their textual context they must be viewed as part of a broader tradition of portents and dreams the animal form of the filia may relate to the phenomena of the werewolf and the man bear. The emphasis on beasts of battle suggests Odin, the most important shape changer of Norse myth. Odin was known for his ability to send his soul out from his body and for sending his companion ravens out into the world as scouts. The animal form of berserkers may also be relevant. The second form of Filia are as Maria Kavilhog adds. A woman Filia is a female supernatural entity who acts as a guardian spirit for the clan and especially for the chief of the clan. They were also attached to individuals but were immortal and appear to have been attached to particular lineages following a person from each generation. Mundell believes that they represent the spirits of ancestral mothers, a part of the ancestral mother worship we know existed among the Vikings. Every human being may have one or more woman filia. Some are visible, whereas others are invisible. Of the visible filia, a person has a limited number two, three, or nine. Of the invisibles, a whole flock the followers are carriers of an individual's or the clan's fortune. The woman follower appears often in dreams but also in visions. So their actions are to some extent comparable to those of the animal philia in that they sometimes appear in dreams and portend death, or foretell the future, but they generally act in sympathy with a central individual rather than in enmity, giving counsel, good fortune, or aid in battle. These filia may attach to a single individual or an entire family. They act as a guardian for a family and attach themselves to an individual at birth, following through the generations down a certain lineage. We know that the mothers were celebrated with female ancestral spirits being described as desir meaning ladies. These female spirits are bound to a family of which they are matriarchal ancestors but it's said they can be both benevolent and malevolent. The term desir covers a wider spectrum of female spirits and beings within Norse mythology but the Philia is specifically a spirit that guides and protects a person, is tied with their fate and herminia. The female Philia shares many features with Decia and herminia and more distantly with norns and valkyries. There is very little terminological consistency. It is widely thought that Athelia may abandon their chosen mortal if their behaviour is poor, wicked, or would bring the name of the family into disrepute. philia appear in the story of Burnt Nial from the Icelandic Nial's saga, a tale of feuds and revenge. It is thought that this work dates from between 1270 and 1290. In the 1900s publication of this saga, Sir George Webb descent describes the superstitions of the race in his introduction to the works and mentions the role of the philia in the society featured in this tale. The Northman had many superstitions. He believed in good giants and bad giants, in dark elves and bright elves, in superhuman beings who tilled the wide gulf which existed between himself and the gods. He believed, too, in wraiths and fetches and guardian spirits who followed particular persons and belonged to certain families, a belief which seems to have sprung from the habit of regarding body and soul as two distinct beings, which at certain times took each a separate bodily shape. Sometimes the guardian spirit or philia took a human shape. At others, its form took that of some animal fancied to foreshadow the character of the man to whom it belonged. Thus it becomes a bear, a wolf, an ox and even a fox in men. The philia of women were fond of taking the shape of swans. To see one's own filia was unlucky and often a sign that a man was fay or death doomed So when Ford Friedmanson tells Niaw that he sees the goat wallowing in its gore in the town of Bergforksnall, the foresighted man tells him that he has seen his own failure and that he must be doomed to die. Finer and nobler natures often saw the guardian spirit of others. Thus Niao saw the filia of Gunnar's enemies, which gave him no rest, the live long night, and his weird feeling is soon confirmed by the news brought by his shepherd. From the filia of the individual, it was easy to rise to the still more abstract notion of the guardian spirits of a family who sometimes, if a great change in the house is about to begin, even show themselves as hurtful to some member of the house. There you go. Not only are Philia mentioned in this saga, but their role as fetches also appears when they are described as visiting characters in the tale in their dreams. These beings also appear in the Losvedninga saga and are used in a form of spiritual warfare. If a character had a more powerful filia than the person crossing them, that individual would suffer some kind of misfortune. It seems that this is the result of their own filia not being as strong or not being able to defend them from that of their enemy. In Anglo Saxon and later English superstitions, an animal filia became known as a fetch. Whether this was originally the same creature that appears in Icelandic literature or whether this is a similar concept is hard to tell. A fetch in the British witchcraft tradition is an animal spirit or living animal that would allow its owner to travel with it or send it on errands for magical workings or spirit travel. It is more common for us to see the witch's fetch depicted as a familiar, a physical animal that aids the practitioner in her works. Many folktales describe how these animals might also be the witch transformed and physical injuries suffered by the animal match those of the witch once she is restored to human form. This shape-shifting also appeared as a Norse concept The fetch was often linked to the devil by the Christian church because it belonged to the old religion of paganism, so of course became demonised. In modern reconstructed heathen spirituality, Athelia can be seen as either an attendant female spirit or animal which may visit you in dreams or appear if you are practising Seder magic, trance work or journeying. People sometimes feel that their filia has run on ahead of them when travelling in a physical sense. It's said that caution should be advised for the curious who wish to discover these beings. Their powers are well documented in the Icelandic sagas, telling how they may bestow hamingja, so luck, upon those who they attend to, even helping to shape a person's fate. However, if you displease them, they can leave you or the benefits they bring could be reversed. So here are some things you may wish to do in regards to finding your fetch. First of all, hedge work, journeying. Much of exploring or channeling your fetch, getting to know more about them, bonding spiritually is primarily through hedge work. So, taking spiritual flight between our realm, the physical, and the spiritual realms, like the astral and other worlds. This is the work that I do in regards to the fetch I work with. Visions. So when a fetch slowly reveals itself, it can give you visions. You may find these in trance work or again, bordering the hedge. divinations. So there are many forms of divination where one can bond or utilize the connection to their fetch once it has manifested itself to then learn things spiritually, channel them for shamanic journeying, astral travel, protection in the other realms, or to just further bond with them. Dreams. So fetches can also manifest themselves in dreams, usually very abstractly or subtly. They may not show all of themselves or they may leave clues as to what or who they are. Once the relationship between you and these particular spirits are solidified, then it can become much easier for you to implement them into your specific magical workings. So I'm gonna read you a small section calling in the fetch. This is from Wild Magic by Danu Forrest. I love this book. We've all had those times where we feel like someone is right beside or behind us. This presence is often your fetch, although that's not the only interpretation. At other times, a fetch may come to you in dreams Or you may repeatedly see an image in your daily life that invokes a deeper emotional stirring and evokes their presence. A relationship with a fetch is something people often become aware of as they grow older. The many times they've either felt their presence or dreamt of them becomes understood as a pattern that takes form over many years. The Fetch is the main spirit who can help you regain lost instincts and intuitions, not just for yourself, but your whole bloodline. With them, you can heal long standing patterns that persist through generations, as the Fetch may have helped your ancestors before you. By forming a close relationship with this spirit, you may find your wild inner self returning to help you walk through life with a sense of balance and inner connection previously thought impossible. Calling in your fetch takes time and the effort is best made with your heart as the main leader and teacher. Make offerings to the fetch, perhaps set aside a special place in your home where you leave offerings and also place things that help invoke the deeper feeling which comes with its presence. As you find times in your day when you are alone, speak to it as you would a lifelong friend and look out for the subtle touch of its presence. Keep a dream journal and record your dreams with the sense that it has perhaps taken many forms over time, but with the same feeling in every instance. Court it as a lover or your own soul. After all, it carries with it your deepest desires, plans and knowledge from one life to another. Treat it with patience and courtesy, asking that it becomes known to you and treat it with honor and care. In time, it will show itself to you more and more, and you may be able to access its wisdom with greater ease and clarity. There is no map for this practice, as it is the deepest magical relationship, and you must bring your most authentic self to the task without preconceived ideas or projections. That's all I have for you today which is in regards to the fetch. I will put a link in the show notes to any resources that I used for this episode. So I just need to give you a little bit of an update. I am currently working on tons of different writing projects and working quite far ahead of myself so I'm kind of working on things for Salwan and you and I'm really under it in terms of time. So I set out trying to do a mini episode for a Friday, but as is my way, I can never go down the rabbit hole without bringing up a complete essay, and it's very apparent that at the moment, I can't continue to do the Friday episode temporarily, so I am not going to be back on Friday with an episode, I will be back next Monday, I may be taking a small break in September before season three of the podcast starts. I just need some downtime to kind of get creative, do some other projects, I want to do some other work in Patreon, so I may be taking a little bit of time off from the podcast in September, but for the moment, I'm going to just try to go with let's not do the episode on a Friday temporarily. There are times of the year I have a lot more time, we can come back to it just right now, I've got a lot writing wise that I really need to get onto. And I don't even have enough time with Patreon and all the other things to kind of create content ahead of time to bring other podcast episodes out because it takes me so long. So I'm really sorry. I'll try to keep with the Monday episode as we are. But we may have a little bit of a gap just so I can kind of get the creative juices flowing, kind of come up with some more ideas, a little bit of a restart, refresh. I will keep you posted though. Anyway, I will catch up with you next Monday. Have a great week, witches. Sending you lots and lots of witchy love.